music is so sweet. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to The Skunk, as it is now called. This is the companion podcast to uh, the articles written on Trashskunk.com. I am Sean. I write those articles. I host this podcast. And here you are. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of business up front. Uh, like I mentioned last episode, this is now just called The Skunk. A little cleaner, a little nicer. It's kind of like in uh, the Social Network movie when uh, Mark Zuckerberg or the guy playing Mark Zuckerberg meets uh, Sean Parker, the founder of Napster, and he just kind of pays their bill at a restaurant and winks at him and goes, lose the the. It's just Facebook from now on. Yeah, well, now this is just the skunk. No more trash skunk podcast. It doesn't roll off the tongue easily. Um, But you can still find all of the uh, correlative material, if correlative is a word. Everything that goes with this is on trashskunk.com. There's a whole long article about what we're about to talk about. We're really good in depth. I'm going to try to get in depth here. um, But obviously, you know, like I say in the intro to this whole podcast, uh... The written word is always a little bit cleaner than the spoken word. So I'm going to sort of go through that article uh, as a guide and just talk about the concepts that I lay out there. So this episode is about hard work and why I think it is a very destructive myth and also why that myth exists in American society and in other societies. But I'm really here to talk to Americans today. So let's talk about it a little bit. Hard work, huh? I would say that the United States has a very bizarre relationship with work. Um, We kind of famously like to think of ourselves as the roll up our sleeves, get it done kind of people who know that happiness only comes from hard labor, right? And the fruit that it bears. Uh, We always like to talk about our Protestant work ethic. You ever heard that phrase before? We're so successful because of our Protestant work ethic. That is baked into the American DNA, and that is why we're so successful, because we work so hard. What I want to remind everybody that uh, this country was indeed originally founded by a bunch of Protestants who fled from Europe, mostly England. Uh, But these people were kind of anything but hard workers, right? This is a country that uh, in its very origin, in its genesis, forced kidnapping victims from Africa to work for free. Well, the Protestants that we're talking about mostly got drunk on corn liquor and rode around town dressed like little Lord Fauntleroy. If you know who, if you know what he looks like, imagine a little blonde noble boy with long flowing golden locks and the silliest frilliest outfit from the 1700s that you can possibly picture. So that's the Protestants we're talking about. In my opinion, and maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but screw those guys, right? They're not hard workers. Those guys might have uh, owned a lot of property, But the hard work in this country back then and into today has always been relegated to anybody but the people at the top. So we like to idolize those guys and think that they founded a country and did all this stuff through pure hard work alone. Uh, No, they did that because they had a lot of time to sit and think and write documents, which some of them are brilliant. Some of them are world changing. You know, there are some founding fathers that were even slave owners that are widely considered to be some of the best intellects we've ever seen on earth. Thomas Jefferson, people like that. People who there is no question we would take ethical issue with today. And some of these people like Jefferson even took ethical issue with themselves and their own writing. They were troubled that they lived in a slave economy, but it did not stop them from owning slaves. Uh, There's a lot of nuance there. Uh, I don't care to dive into it in this episode. I think it's more about that relationship. This is what I really want to talk about. The one between sort of rich layabouts and their workers. I think that defines America much more than the idea that, oh, we're a bunch of hardworking Protestants. Everybody here just likes to get up at dawn, eat a four-egg omelet, and go out there and work hard. No, we like everyone to think that, but the people at the top do nothing of the sort. (laughs) (laughs) at all. I think that you know that and I know that, but we're going to explore how that works and why. Uh, So this is a myth, I think, that is told to people in this country. It is an important myth because it gets everyone out the door to work, right? We like to think that we are all at the bottom rung of a ladder, and if we just work hard enough, we'll get to the next rung. And if we keep doing that, eventually we'll be at the top of the ladder. That is how we are told this whole thing works. And there's no doubt that for a lot of people, 
maybe not a lot, but for many people, uh, they have lived that reality. You know, they've made that work. There are people in this country who have come up from nothing through nothing but sheer hard work alone. It doesn't not exist, okay? But as a general rule, I would say that this outlook on life is destructive, and I think it's making us sick. Uh, We've all heard the phrase, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? Well, what happens when people can't do that? You know, what happens when for either, you know, the reasons of chance or sheer odds, uh, people cannot pull themselves up into success by their own bootstraps? Uh, I recently talked to a friend of mine who suggested that Maybe one of the reasons we have so many mass shootings and so many suicides in this country and so much drug addiction and homelessness is the fact that it is cutthroat. (laughs) Everyone is expected to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Not all of us have bootstraps. So what happens when somebody can't climb that ladder on their own? Well, like I said, it's very, very, very difficult for them to deal with. This is why we see so many suicides, homicides, drug addiction, disenfranchisement. All of these things are undeniably epidemics in our country. We have a problem with each and every one of those things. You can go to the numbers and look it up. Uh, And I think, not in every case, but in a lot of ways, we can tie this back to the idea of hard work being more important than anything else in life, which is a very American concept. So I guess I should say right at the top here, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm against the idea of work, right? Like, we all know that work is important. I'm not trying to say you should live your life as a lazy ass who just sits under an orange tree and waits for fruit to fall and eats it and never does anything else. That's not worth it either. I think working obviously has its rewards. Uh, Work for society on on a broad scale produces goods that we all use. Uh, Goods can be sold for money. This creates an economy. These are all good things. And not only that, but on a personal level, you know, the pride that you get from a job well done makes you feel satisfied in a way that nothing else in life really does. Uh, It can give you something to engage with every day that sort of adds up something, adds up to something bigger than yourself. You know, if you're working with a team on something and you guys are trying to build a company or start a band or... Uh, even if it's something like make a political movement happen, right? Getting together with people, working on a goal and bringing it to life and having it, you know, have success, that is a very psychologically valuable thing for human beings. I am not against that at all. From the top, working on something that matters to you, something that, that brings you fulfillment is important. There's no way that any of us would be happy laying around the Garden of Eden, plucking apples and talking to snakes. That's really boring. It's the reason why something like universal basic income, which I'm not entirely against, but I think we need to see some more studies on it. Um, If that's a supplement to our lives, I think that could work. If that becomes our lives, I think we will lead ourselves into a sort of unhappiness of a different type. Does that make sense? Humans need a goal. We need to be constantly pursuing something. That's sort of part of life. The idea is, A, how much of our time is devoted to that? And B, this is where it really gets important for me, whom are we doing it for? Are we doing this for somebody else just to have money to buy a sandwich at the end of the day? Or are we doing this for ourselves? This is the big, the big thing I want to talk about. So my problem at the end of the day here, uh, on the other side of that, right, like I have a problem with you laying around a cornfield all day, just snacking on corn. I don't think you'll be happy there. But there's a a whole other pendulum swing to uh, beyond work. It's toil on the other side, right? It's almost like the right and the left. The right side of work might be no work at all, and the left side is toil. Standing behind a cash register at a pharmacy or any other retail outlet for $7.50 an hour, day after day, dealing with the public uh, for a company that you don't own, you're just the cashier. This is not an experience or a job that anybody would call fulfilling at all. I don't see how they would. I've done this job. Uh, It's a horrible job. 
I would say that a cashier is less like a prideful carpenter making a chair and a lot more like just a beaten mule walking around in circles to power a mill. Uh, you're not any valued member of any team. You're not some person whose creative input matters to the company. You're, you are a resented cog in a cash-generating mechanism. I say you are resented in a role like that because the owners of the business resent having to pay even a cent for somebody to have to ring up customers, which is what you do. Uh, that might sound harsh. I understand that. But we know that this is true. And how do we know that this is true? Well, we know it's true because the job of a cashier is being increasingly automated. You know, more often than not now, when you go to the grocery store, you are sort of encouraged to go to the machine checkout, where instead of having a person, you'll have four or five, six, you know, automated checkouts and one uh, teenager in a vest with a name tag sort of helping everybody uh, try to get through this process because it's confusing for all of us. But the point of it is, if the cashier was a valued member of the team, they wouldn't have replaced him with a computer. That just stands to reason. Now, I, on, on some scale, this can't necessarily be a bad thing because being a cashier is a nightmare job. Like I've said, I have done it, I know. Uh, it, it pays nothing. It's extremely monotonous and degrading. There is nothing offered in the way of career advancement or, or j even just happiness at work. So in the world of retail, basically, the best thing you can hope for if you're a cashier is promotion to a managerial position where maybe you only sometimes have to work the cash register because all those managers do if they're on the floor. Um, but even when you're a manager, right, you don't own the company. Think about that. Uh, the manager in a Target, in a Rite Aid, um, their income is just as fixed as the cashier. Now, granted, they might make a little bit more money, but the point is this, that whether they work 15 hours a day uh, and check out 3,000 customers, or if they work 15 hours a day and check out one, or even if they show up late and no one notices, nothing changes on their paycheck. They have to really screw up in order to lose money, but no matter how hard they work, they're not going to make any more money. That only exists for the owner. The owner of that particular business, whether it's the Target uh, franchise or the McDonald's or the independent mom and pop shop, the owner is the one who profits when more people come in and more people are rung up and more uh, churn occurs in that store financially. So really, unless you own your own business, you have no pride of ownership in your job, no real sense of responsibility beyond whatever your narrow role is that you're being paid to do, and whatever happens to this business long-term, like short of maybe bankruptcy, it's not going to affect your income. No matter how hard you work, no matter how many people you ring up or don't ring up, it will not change your income. And when I talk about owning your own business, realize that kind of depending on how you count it, only between 10 and 16% of Americans own their own business. 10 and 16%. That is a very small number of Americans. Most of us, in this sense, uh, would be considered wage slaves. Now, you might not realize this, but uh, it seems really normal for a modern American to say, well, wage slave, that's just a slang term that we throw around because, yeah, it's really funny. We all show up to work and we all hate being there and we all collect our paychecks. We're just a bunch of wage slaves. But maybe what you don't realize about that term is that as recently as sort of the 1800s, people were saying that as a pejorative against working for private industry. Um, people were worried that a capitalist system would enslave them in an entirely different way than an actual slave or a sharecropper or something like that. The, all of these things share one thing in common. You're not in charge of anything. You are hoping for breadcrumbs from the person who is. That's what wage slave originally meant. People, people meant that in very serious debates about whether we wanted to have a system where the majority of the population showed up 
and got shelled out paychecks by a rich person who owned a company and really never had to come to work. You work for them, the profits come in, and they cut you off a very, very small piece of that profit while keeping most of it for themselves. Wage slave is a real term beyond the way that we use it. And most of us are now wage slaves. That debate was won by the people in favor of this current system. Uh, and so, of course, the myth needs to be spread. If, if that system is going to work and we need to have 80% of the workforce showing up for a wage slave job, well, what could be more helpful than perpetuating the myth that that's what we do in America? We have work ethic. We all show up and work really, really hard and we earn our paychecks. And then we go home, <laughs> right? And then we get up and do it again. So I want you to think about something, Americans. Uh, we are one of the only people on earth that has this perverse relationship with work, where we worship work in a way that other people might worship something like time with family, you know, or vacation time. You know, a lot of places in Europe famously have a lot of vacation time. These people value living their lives not being at the office. Uh, that's a whole other way of looking at this, isn't it? But we don't often think about that here because we like to point to our economic output and our standing in the world as the world's largest economy and say, well, this is what's the most important. We have the most output. We have the most production. We're right. Even if that means that your life sucks <laughs> compared to somebody in another country's life who might not live in the most economically dominant country on earth, but they work six, seven hours a day and come home and drink wine with their grandmother and their wife and their kids and their parents. And uh, it's, it's an entirely different approach. And it is the more old world, old school approach. Let me give you a couple statistics really quick, uh, my fellow Americans. Let's talk about this. 86% of American men and 66.5% of American women work more than 40 hours a week. 40 hours is considered a full-time job. 86% of men work more than that, and 66.5% of women work more than that, working more than full-time. What used to be considered a full-time job in this country, at least. 40 hours a week, you know, you could come home from that feeling like you worked a lot, and we're all working more, okay? Here's another statistic. So according to the International Labor Organization, Americans work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours than British workers, and get ready for this, 499 more hours per year than French workers. To put that in perspective, 499 hours is 20 days. You're working harder than a French person by 20 days a year. That's how much more time you're spending at work. Uh, I've been to France. Believe me when I tell you, they're happier than you are. And it's not like France is some dump. France is a beautiful country. It's a first world country. Uh, and they are one of the top economies in the world. And yet still they find a way to work 20 days less than us a year. This is why you always see French people smoking cigarettes and sighing into wine glasses and thinking about the boredom of life. They've got the time for that shit. We don't. Americans in our spare time are thinking about uh, our crushing bills, the fact that we have to pay for all this crap and we don't make enough money and we're suffering from alligator economics where the cost of living goes up and your income is stagnant. Uh, that's the difference between us. Let's talk about a couple more little factoids here. So there's no federal law that requires paid sick days in the United States. Uh, people offer that as a courtesy. You're lucky to get it. Uh, maternity leave here is only 12 weeks. Other industrialized first world nations have six months to a year, sometimes more, of maternity leave. I think, uh, I think it's Iceland. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I heard this recently. Iceland gives four months to the mother and four months to the father <laughs> for maternity leave when you have a baby. Anyone who's had a baby will tell you what a blessing that must be. What a bunch of work. Can you just conceptualize in your head 
in America, when you are a woman who has just given birth to a child, you get 12 weeks and then, honey, we need you back on the clock. You know, march back in here. And for some of us who work in white collar jobs, maybe we can work from home a little bit. That could be palatable. Think about the lower income people, sometimes even people who don't have a spouse, you know, and leave your judgment at the door on that one, by the way, because it doesn't matter. The spouse could be dead. The spouse, uh, they just could not be around anymore for whatever reason. Forget about that. Think about the fact that some lower income woman who has a child might have to go to work in 12 weeks after giving birth and stand behind a cash register at a chicken restaurant or a grocery store or JCPenney or whatever. Uh, That's a waking nightmare. But that's what we get when we worship hard work, right? More important than her being with her kid, more important than her uh, being a mother is get back to work because damn, that's what we do in this country. We just love to work, work, work. And like I said earlier, this does nothing for her, you know, unless she's going back to a small business she owns, which is extremely unlikely, as I mentioned in the statistics I gave you. Um, This helps nobody but uh, the person who owns that business or the more likely collection of people, the shareholders who own that business. This is sick. Um, One final thing, our paid holiday and vacation system is last among first world nations. Last. We are getting crushed by everybody else with a first world country, quote unquote, when it comes to this. And you wonder why people show up to work and shoot everybody. And I don't mean that as a joke. I really don't. You wonder why people are so deranged and pushed to the edge that they snap week after week in this country. And trust me, we're going to talk about the gun debate in another episode. It's a whole other topic, but it it does give you a view into the psychology when we wonder why, wow, why is everyone shooting everyone all the time and so freaked out? Well, what do you think happens when we're all pushed to the brink and we're basically cogs in a machine that get no break? I mean, how do you expect this to turn out? Um, So one thing I want to talk about, it's sort of related. Um, So I have interviewed a lot of homicide detectives. In my day job, uh, I'm a TV producer, and I've worked on a couple crime shows. So one of the favorite sayings that's always stuck with me that many homicide detectives have is a Latin saying, qui bono. This means who benefits In other words, if you want to find a killer, someone murders somebody, well, the first thing a detective asks is, who benefited from this? Qui bono? So qui bono, who benefits, can be applied to the American workforce. Um, Who's benefiting from all these long hours and this low pay? Who benefits from uh, unions being crushed? Who benefits from a lack of insurance coverage and not having to pay for sick, holiday, maternity leave, any of that stuff? Who do you think is benefiting here? Well, I can tell you it's not the worker. That's obvious. No, like I said before, it's the owners, the board members, the primary shareholders, which a lot of times are just enormous funds for bigger companies. It's not even like uh, any particular person owns this company. These people benefit from not having to pay fair wages and from getting their employees to work longer for less and not having to pay a dime for vacation or sick or sick days. That, that is not the law, as I mentioned. If you get that, you're lucky. It's not the law that they have to give that to you. Uh, and keep in mind, these are people who don't show up and work themselves. <laughs> they basically are financiers. They sit back, they collect the profit. Uh, sounds like a real bono to me, right? Qui bono, they bono, quite obviously. So why are we all putting up with this when this is so obviously the case, right? Most of us are not benefiting from the, the way that our system is set up unless you have a very good job, and even then you might be bored and hate it, uh, you're probably not benefiting here. Well, the fact of the matter is that in order to get us to work so hard, there always has to be a carrot on the end of the stick. Everything in life is incentives, an economist will tell you that. If there's no incentive to do something, people will not do it, period. None of us will. I know that you wouldn't. Would you go to work tomorrow if there wasn't a paycheck at the end of it? No, of course you wouldn't. Neither would I. (laughs) None of us would. Uh, so how do we do this carrot on the end of the stick in America? You know, it works different places in different countries. I'll tell you how we do it in America. In the United States, we motivate people to show up for work, even under these horrible conditions, 
in two ways. Firstly, we propagate the idea, the myth, the legend, that you will get rich if you work hard enough. And sort of an addendum to that, of course, nothing in life could be more important than material wealth. Right, everybody? Don't we know that we all want the Maserati and the big house with the pool? Don't we all want everybody to think that we're richer than them? We want the Rolex. We want the nice shoes. Everything comes down to material wealth in America. And so much of it is an illusion because we allow people to buy these things on credit, things that they can't really afford. So we look around our lives and we see people with all of these nice things and wonder, why can't I get that? And then we figure out we can get it with credit and look as successful as we perceive them to be and we proceed to take out that credit and do it. That's almost a whole other conversation. But basically, this is our thing. We propagate the idea that work is the most important thing in life and wealth is the most important thing in life. The second part of this is that we ensure if you fail to show up for work and try to win this unwinnable game, you will become homeless and you will die in a gutter. That sounds hyperbolic, I realize. Take a trip to Los Angeles, 2021. You'll see I'm not kidding about that. If you can't hack it in this country, you will live on the street and you will die. No one is here to help you. It, it, it sounds crazy because it is crazy. Everything about that is crazy, but that is the way we enforce these rules in this country. You show up to work at that job, even though you don't own that business, even though it has no prospects, even though it's backbreaking labor and you get no paid, sick days, maternity leave, health insurance, any of that. You're going to get none of it, but you show up because the other option is homelessness and death in a gutter. That's the cutthroat American way. That's how we operate in this country. Either get on board with this Protestant work ethic bullshit, or you can go be a bum. Uh... Other countries don't have that problem. This is a distinctly American issue. Not to say that there aren't other countries who do have it. They're not running right either. Plenty of countries have figured this out and are not dealing with this in the same way that we are. I want to talk about something else. There's more to that equation. It's not just, hey, show up for this crappy paycheck or you'll be homeless in the gutter. There's an incredible trick that is played on all of us. And it's mostly... My generation and probably Generation X's problem as well. This did not exist before then, not in any significant way. Um, there's a gun at our backs, in addition to all those factors that, that forces us into this game. This unwinnable game that is so obviously not a good deal for you. And the gun at your back is this. College. We are basically forced to take on lifelong debts or near lifelong debts to go to college uh, the same to own a car, the same to have a house. All of these things require debt on your part. But the most important one for me is college because we've created a society where access to the workforce, to you, to, to get a good job, unless you want to flip burgers for the rest of your life and you're always told in high school, do you want to flip burgers for the rest of your life? Well then, sit up and pay attention, young man. At least I was told that. Still didn't pay attention. And now I flip burgers for fun. I'm very lucky I don't have to do it for a living. But you're told if you want to have access to a good job, you must go to a college and preferably a prestigious college. Now, this is a trick because not only have they made it true that you need a degree, but they have turned getting a degree into a debt trap so that anyone who's 18 years old and going off to college, unless their parents are wealthy and can just pay for this themselves, this kid is going to be taking on an enormous debt. Now, in my parents' generation, people could go to college and work at the college bookstore or get a job at a restaurant and pay for most of it, maybe come out with a little bit of debt, a couple thousand dollars, nothing that they couldn't pay off. Let me read you what it costs to go to college today. And you tell me if you think an 18-year-old can just kind of get through this, you know, working at Starbucks part-time while they study. So like I said... Everyone says, you must go to a good school. Of course, there are community colleges. Those still cost money. You're encouraged to go to a good school. Um, a private four-year college in America, what would be considered a good school, has an average cost of $48,500 a year in America. This is in 2018 and 2019. 
It's probably even a little bit more now. So an average of $48,500 a year um, in tuition and housing costs just to go to college. So after a four-year program, your average student will have borrowed $194,000 starting at 18 years old, finishing at 22. So to go to a good college in America and come out the other end of it at 22 years old is to incur $194,000 debt just for the privilege of entering the workforce at a base level where maybe you're making thirty dollars to $50,000 a year. Now, keep in mind, the way that loans work, of course, is you don't just pay back the $194,000. There's going to be an interest rate attached to that that will balloon that figure significantly. Depending on your deal, I can't give you a number here, but depending on what the interest rate on your loan is, you will be paying a lot more than $194,000, and you will be paying it most likely into your 50s, maybe even 60s, almost to retirement. So... This is financially handicapping, quite obviously. It traps you into the system so that no matter what you do, you have to go to work because you're being crushed by debt. It's more than just having to go to work to feed yourself or keep a roof over your head. It's way more than that because you have to pay for this debt. It is mandatory that you find and pay for health insurance because your company very likely will not do it for you unless you have a very good job. And then you have to pay for all the other things that life costs, right? Visits to doctors, uh, transportation, gas, food, your cell phone, you know, if you want to be luxurious, Netflix and Amazon accounts. This is crazy. All of that other stuff is fine. Of course, we need to pay for gas to get to and fro. Of course, we need to buy groceries. That's, that's kind of not on the table for me to bitch about. And I won't bitch about that. But what's crazy to me is that just for the privilege of having a education and entering the workforce, you are crippled with basically $200,000 in debt. That is unacceptable. It is a profoundly devious trap we've created. And like I said, our parents' generation did not have to deal with this. So my parents' generation did. If you're younger than me, maybe they did. But the real financialization of college tuition began in the 1970s. This is something that the banks sort of figured out that they could do, and it just became a thing. College tuitions rocketed up, and predatory lenders got their hooks into every kid in America who wanted a degree. And so we're told when we're too young and stupid to know any better that this is something you have to do. Um, you do it, and by the time you figure it out, it's too late. Once you've taken out that loan and you owe that money, forget about it. Unless you can somehow get the money to pay it off, that's going to be a you problem until it's over, which is going to be a very long time. And I want to tell the, the skunk listener too, um, I'm not saying this to bitch because I have this problem. And this is weird. I'm not trying to brag. I actually have no student debt. I have no debt at all outside of my mortgage, which is not a real debt because real estate appreciates and you can sell it at any time and collect your profits and move on. Uh, you can't sell your student debt. It's worth nothing. <laughs> so if you take out a $200,000 loan for a degree, it's not like when you're sick of the degree, you can sell it for a profit like you can with a house. Um, you're stuck. There's nothing you can do about it. This is yours. This is a, a ball and chain around your ankle until you can pay it off. And it's going to be a long time. But most importantly, I want to tell you, I I'm not using this as an opportunity to bitch about a problem that I have. I'm lucky not to have this. The reason I don't have this is because I dropped out of school and started working in TV at a very young age. So I only escaped this through actually complete stupidity and sheer accident. This was a decision I made against the advice of a lot of people in my life. I did it because I was a stubborn idiot. It is by sheer luck and a little bit of hard work on my own end, but a lot of luck that I do not have this problem and that I'm okay. I am saying this for the benefit of everybody else, because this is whether or not I personally have an issue with this. This is an issue for pretty much everybody. So let me make that clear. This is not a personal grievance. This is a societal observation. It's a fucking problem, in my opinion, a big problem. Um, so the bottom line here is that, you know, people of my generation, maybe the one above it, Generation X, are motivated 
for all this hard work and sold this Protestant work ethic crap, it's, it's less of a carrot on the end of a stick for us, I think. It's more like uh, maybe the cruel sting of a riding crop. <laughs> we owe money. You know, we've got a lot of bills, and if we fail to pay them, uh, we also have a society that has ripped every social safety net available out from under us. So, yeah, our parents had bills. Uh, they weren't preyed upon in quite the same way because the financial industry hadn't made its way to that point yet. Um, my mom and dad could expect to go to college and did go to college, and they did not pay for it into their 50s. Sadly, that little tweak to the system happened on their watch. I know it's not individually their fault, um, but that happened during their generation, and the victims are their children, our generation. So... How's that for a fun episode? Well, I'm not done yet. Uh, look, I don't mean to be a real downer here. This is, it sounds like a rant, and in some ways it is a rant. And I want to make clear that, obviously, people in other countries have to work too. I'm not trying to sit here and say, oh, Americans are the only ones that have to show up to work and pay bills. What's wrong with us? No, of course not. Canada, the UK, Australia, France, all these people have mortgages. They have to go to work. They have to pay for things. Yes. But those are countries that offer things like nationalized health care, paid sick days, maternity leave, all these other things that take care of them that we don't have. You know, a person that lives in a country with nationalized health care has zero worry about getting sick and that leading to them losing their house. That's an American problem. We are the country where if you have a medical problem, you have to pay for all of it. You know, like you might have good insurance that runs out fast. Anyone who's had real medical problems will tell you that runs out really fast. And soon you are dipping into your savings. And if you can't do that, you're selling your house. That's a huge, disgusting, sick problem. And these are the reasons in America that we must work so hard. These are the things that keep us showing up for shitty jobs and low pay with no benefits, because we know that if we don't, that's what's around the corner. You're one pneumonia case away or one grandparent having a heart attack away from having to sell everything you own just to pay for it. It's really, really sick. Um, there's one other interesting thing I want to talk about, the way that they keep people coming to work. We're talking, of course, just to reset this conversation about the myth of hard work in America and hard work being a virtue. We're the country that tells you that, yes, hard work is a good thing. You want to work hard. You live to work hard. You live to show up at that factory and work 15-hour days. That's what makes you an American. That's what makes us better than everybody else. This myth reminds me of something I read a long time ago. You might be familiar with the uh, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. So Nietzsche's got an interesting idea. Now, he wasn't talking about work. He was talking about religion when he came up with this. Uh, basically, it's the concept of master and slave religions or moralities. So in loose terms, what uh, Nietzsche was talking about is, for example, Christianity. He would say, well, this is an example of a slave morality, meaning that Christianity is meant to pacify the underdog in society, the exploited person, the abused person. Uh, this means basically Christianity... And you'll know this if you're, if you're familiar with Christianity. It honors the weak, and it vilifies the strong. So Christianity's promise to weak people is that if you endure the hardship of this life, things will be better for you in heaven. Suck it up now. You're going to get yours later. Like the Bible suggests uh, in a famous passage, it's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for him to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what they're saying is, Rich people who enjoy good times on earth, the owners of these companies and people who hang around on silk pillows, smoking opium and eating, uh, they're not going to get into heaven. But you, oh you, you know, the poor sod who has to plow their fields and do their laundry, you're the servant. Don't worry, you're going to get into heaven. Like you're going to be right at the end. So this situation would be ideal for the master, right? We're talking about masters and slaves. This would be ideal for the master because he can use this idea, this religion that makes a virtue of being poor and downtrodden. He can use this to exploit his slaves and his servants. It feeds right into what he needs from them, right? Think about it. 
He gets to sell them the idea that their pitiful position on Earth is somehow noble, <laughs> somehow desirable. Uh, yes, it is incredible that you get to be the poor person who scrubs my floors. Uh, it's a noble thing for you to work this hard, and in the end, you will be the inheritor of heaven. And I, the stupid, foolish, rich master who spends his days eating caviar and having sex and uh, getting drunk, oh, it will be my punishment to endure in the afterlife. So, uh, by the way, that pile of laundry over there, if you could get that done by this afternoon, I have a party to go to later. <laughs> this works perfectly for the master. He gets to keep his slaves thinking this, and it's kind of a genius twist that built into this idea is that the slaves get to believe that the master is the idiot. They get to think with this religion, oh, he's the one who's going to go to hell. He's an idiot. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to scrub this floor. This guy's going to go to hell later, and he is stupid enough to, uh, to not listen to the religion and to have fun now. Well, he'll pay later. But at the end of the day, the master is more clever than the slave in this scenario because the master knows that he made this up and it's all bullshit. <laughs> No one's going to heaven. No one's going to hell. This is why this guy has no problem dominating everybody and just living it up now and making these people do his work for him. So even though he knows the truth about this, it is still vital to the master that his slaves go on believing the myth that their position under him on earth is somehow going to be worth it in the long run and that they will be rewarded and he will be punished. That is Christianity. Christianity is all about the underdog. Because keep in mind, this is something that sprung up amongst Jewish rebels during the Roman occupation of Israel. These are people who needed something to believe in that fit right into that. Uh, we have an occupying, overwhelming force that we cannot conquer ourselves. The idea came about that, don't worry, we're the chosen people. Yes, we're downtrodden now. Yes, this sucks for us now. The Romans are here. They're kicking everybody's ass. But they're going to be the ones to suffer in the long run because God is on our side. Um, I want to make it clear really quick because I just feel like in, in these times, terms like masters and slaves, obviously uh, very loaded terms. So Nietzsche wasn't talking about masters and slaves in the sense of like a southern plantation, like we might think of it when we hear those words in modern America. He really meant it more in a biblical sense. It was sort of a metaphor for him for power structures in society. So in his mind, something like the Catholic Church would be a master and Catholic uh, parishioners, people who paid the church and showed up uh, and listened to what they had to say and believed it all, those were the slaves. So the Catholic Church, in his mind, something that would be run by a bunch of corrupt political humans who knew exactly what kind of dark shit they were doing, and the people who were being fooled, in his words, the slaves, were just ordinary Catholics who would show up and listen to what these people had to say and give them money and uh, let them have all the power and move along. Does that make sense? This is not a comment on the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade or any other true slavery. This is a power structure terminology he's using. I felt like that might be worth just throwing out there um, just because, you know, does it make sense? So anyway, the Nietzschean master-slave concept applies to the modern-day work ethic. If you think about all the stuff we've talked about, right, much like the Nietzschean slave, Americans are sold the idea that hard work is noble by wealthy people who live off of passive income streams. They're the master. These people, these capitalists, these Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, these are people whose lifestyles resemble something closer to a permanent vacation <laughs> than, than the disciplined life of labor that they espouse for the rest of us, right? We all hear that uh, the billionaires in America are just really hard workers. I've even seen an interview from a long time before he was president. Donald Trump spouted some bullshit, might have been to Playboy or something like that, that he gets up every day at 5 a.m. and works every night until 9 or 10 p.m. Well, back when Donald Trump was a private citizen and a billionaire, maybe not a lot of people question that. But now that he's lived in the public eye, does anyone believe that? Really? This is a guy who famously rolls into work at 11 a.m. and spends, actually, literally, I can pull the numbers up or you can pull them up yourself, 
one-fourth of his days as president, almost one-fourth, just shy of one-fourth of his days as president, spent on the golf course, not being the president, not doing any real work at all, showing up at 11 for tea time, one-fourth of the days as president, the most important job this guy's ever had, and that's how he treats it. But these are the people who, like when Trump gave that interview, want you to think the way I became a billionaire is I got up every day at 5 a.m. and I worked, what, 16, 17, 18-hour days. That's how I did it, baby. That's what you need to do. Well, this is obviously Nietzschean master-slave manipulation, right? Because the master knows that he didn't have to do that. The master knows that no matter how many hours his slaves put in, they will never become the master. That's not how this works. Not how it works even at all. Um, so anyway, I thought that that little philosophical tidbit folded in here very neatly, at least as far as I see it. This is how I, I, I see all of this stuff. Uh, the myth of hard work is put there by people who don't work hard at all, but their businesses don't run if you don't work hard for them. So they need you to think that there's something noble about putting in these hours. Uh, it's crazy to me that uh, people in our country will brag about, I worked an 80-hour workday this week. I'm kicking ass. I hear something like that and I think, that's a nightmare. Why would you want to spend 80 hours a week at work? We talked about earlier, 40 hours a week is considered a full-time job. This person's working two full-time jobs? What part of your life are you hanging out with your loved ones? Your wife, your kids, your husband, your elderly parents? You know, what part of your life are you engaging in a hobby that you're trying to become better at? Writing, golf, surfing, whatever it might be. Horseback riding, dog training. I could go on and on here. Don't tempt me. Fruit picking. Um, there's all kinds of things in life that are so much more important and so much more rewarding psychologically for a human being than work. Um, bragging about 40 hours at work like you kicked some ass, I really hope that you do own that business at that point. Because if you don't, even if you're an executive at a business you don't own, that sounds like what I would consider to be kind of a loser in life. You're missing the point of life. The point of life isn't just to generate product and generate income. The point of life is to live a fulfilling human life, a rich three-dimensional experience of which work is only one part, <laughs> ideally, unless you have some sort of a part of you that really, really, really values nothing else in life but just toil, and in which case, okay, I guess that's your thing. So everybody is stressing out. Everybody is being tricked by this master-slave sort of mental manipulation that they need to show up and work hard, and that's what's noble, and God forbid the worst thing you can be at work is the, like, <clears throat> let me rephrase this. Everybody wants to be known as the most hardworking person at work. Everybody wants to be the 80-hour-a-week guy. Even if they don't want to put in 80 hours, they want to come off that way to people. Which, in my mind, is weird. Shouldn't the more desirable position be, I'm the person who spends all day in his hammock, and I'm doing fine. That should be what we're chasing, in my opinion. I'm the guy who, uh, I do my work, and then I get to hang out. Now, I'm not saying that any of us do that or that I do that at work because I live in the same system that I'm describing. So of course I work up, you know, I show up and work hard, but the goal should not be for us all to be working harder. I talked in the episode about AI, about the promise of the machine age. When machines came around and started automating labor a long time ago, you know, the industrial revolution, people were thinking, oh great, I no longer have to toil, you know, working with cotton or doing this menial job on a construction site or a, an assembly line. And the promise of the machine age was this. It was that machines will take away all the hard work that people have to do, and then people can just get the income from that, get the products from that, and spend more time chilling out. Well, I went over in that episode, and I won't go over the whole thing again, um, but basically, that obviously hasn't happened, right? Machines have come in, they've automated jobs away from people, but because people don't own the businesses to begin with, whatever extra profit is being made by these machines, it isn't saving anybody any work. If you get replaced by a machine, 
you just have to find another job. <laughs> the only thing that comes from this is that the business owners, the shareholders, the board members of the company that you just lost your job from, they just get to make more money and pay less of it because they're not paying you anymore. A machine is doing your job. So the, the promise of the machine age here is a lie. Uh, everybody must still have to work hard. The problem is that there's less jobs to go around because we're automating them. Uh, so no wonder people find themselves so deranged and upset and feeling hopeless. No wonder people are committing suicide. No wonder people are feeling driven. Uh, you know, they're, they're backs against a wall, basically. And why are we like this in America? Well, I can almost point all of it back to a couple things. Of course, there's the Nietzschean master-slave morality. There's the original sort of genesis myth in this country of the, of the Protestant work ethic. And then there's something a little bit more recent. Uh, it's something called objectivism. Now, modern Americans, a lot of them, especially conservatives, latch on to this idea. They love objectivism. Objectivism is basically a philosophy invented by... Uh, a Russian-American writer named Ayn Rand. Now, Ayn Rand, written a couple famous books that you have probably heard of. Uh, Atlas Shrugged is one of them. The Fountainhead is another. And objectivism basically is sort of an everyman-for-themself view of the world. Um, let me put it this way. Probably Ayn Rand's best expression of her worldview is in her book, Atlas Shrugged. So her idea here is that uh, societies are built by great men, um, beacons of light, you know, men of enterprise and talent and hard work, uh, and there's very few of them. And these men, through their sheer will, drag the rest of us into the future behind them. We're all sort of losers. So in her mind, someone like Jeff Bezos, John D. Rockefeller, uh, these men would be great men. Bill Gates. All the rest of us are just kind of moochers who go work for their companies and live off the fruits of the ideas that these men came up with. Um, and we're all takers. And people want suddenly uh, union jobs and they want health benefits and they're mooching off this great man and his company. So the idea of Atlas Shrugged is basically Ayn Rand says... Well, what if these great men got sick of all these moochers, all these people who are lucky to be coming to work for them at all, and they decide to ask for all this other stuff? What if the great men are the ones who went on strike? Right? We've all heard of the workers going on strike. Well, what if the great men who own the company said, enough, I'm not coming to work anymore. <laughs> so Atlas, here's the title meaning here. So Atlas, of course, is the titan from Greek mythology who holds up the entire world upon his shoulders. Uh, so in Rand's thin metaphor here, somebody like William Randolph Hearst uh, or any of these other great men of American industry shrugged and just said, I'm not holding this world up on my shoulders anymore. I'm not coming to work. And in, in Ayn Rand's account of this and Atlas Shrugged, the entire world grinds to a halt, right? Because the rich guys don't show up to be CEOs anymore. And all of the moochers who work for them, oh, they just can't believe it. No, please, Elon Musk, come back to work. Everything's falling apart without you. Oh, no, what are we going to do? We're all too stupid. We're all just bloodsuckers and moochers. This is anti-human. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It views everyone as a parasite who isn't a rich business owner. Uh, this has become an extremely popular view in America. This is why the right wing of American society has such a angry reaction to something like socialism or even less than socialism, just social security, health benefits, free uh, pre-K childcare, free community college, unions. They hate this because they have been indoctrinated into objectivism. The idea that rich men of industry, and we are all potential rich men of industry, by the way, uh, they're the only ones that matter. Everyone else is a lazy fucking moocher who the minute you give them a second off the clock or that you're not looking at them, they're going to take advantage. That's the point of Ayn Rand's philosophy, and that is what so many people in this country believe, and that is why they have such a hostile attitude towards helping other Americans. They are convinced 
that if we have welfare available, everyone will be a welfare queen. Because apparently in the in the view of the conservative American, we're all dying to just live on 200 bucks a week. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, oh, if I don't have to go to work, but I could get 200 bucks a week to just sit around and watch TV? Hell yeah. Nobody wants to live on that. That is not enough to live on. That is not enough to do anything on. We are all living in fear of having to be on welfare. Now, that being said, are there the occasional person who is actually so shitty and lazy that they do that? Yes, it is a very small, small, small percentage of people. Less than 1%. That's, that's a horrible way to live. Um, but the idea that people who might really need something like unemployment insurance, uh, food stamps, the idea that we want to deny anyone who might actually need that because they're on hard times, because some one or less percent of people might abuse it, so it's not worth doing at all, that's objectivism. And that's crazy, in my opinion. That's, like I said, anti-human. You're living your life wondering, okay, a million people might need this thing, a hundred of them might take advantage of it, so nobody gets it at all. Nobody. Horrible way to be a person, in my opinion. I just don't see how it would be good. And by the way, to just really quickly before we move on from Ayn Rand, do you really think that if Jeff Bezos stopped showing up to be the CEO of Amazon for a week, Amazon would just shut down? You think it all really goes through Jeff, guys? Same with Tesla. You think if Elon Musk stopped showing up to Tesla, they'd just say, well, he hasn't been here in a week. Shut down the factory. Looks like we're all out of a job because we were all moochers. Shit, I wish we hadn't pushed Elon so far. I miss him. Hope he comes back. No, none of this would happen. If Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk left their respective companies, <clears throat> some guy named Gary with a business degree would step right up and be the CEO. And you know what? That company would do just fine. Because those guys are not, even though they started those companies and they are the charismatic figureheads of those companies, those companies would run just fine, uh, almost if a chimpanzee in a cheap suit sat at their desk for a month or two. Those are almost self-running machines at this point, and a business is much the same everywhere. <clears throat> Anyone with a business degree could step into Tesla and do a pretty good job. I'm firmly convinced of that. These guys don't possess some secret... Uh, knowledge of how to run Amazon that no one else in the world's aware of. No, they're just, they were good businessmen to start it. If they left, somebody would take their place. So in conclusion here, um, again, this is just an episode about the myth of hard work. And I don't really have major solutions to this, except that I think we can look to other countries who are handling this attitude better than we are. We raise up the rich and we hate the poor here. Uh, yet it is the rich who live the easiest lives. They are layabouts. And they want us all to think that the way to eventually become a layabout yourself is to work extremely hard, neglect your family, neglect your hobbies, uh, break your body, break your mind, so that one day you too can own a Porsche. That's toxic. That's stupid. And it's, uh, it's unhealthy, and I think it's killing us. This is why people kill each other in a lot of instances. This is why people become addicted to drugs to cope with the pressure and the uh, societal forces that we squeeze everyone in on on every single side with this kind of an attitude. Like, yeah, we're going to pay you nothing. We're not going to pay for your health insurance. You're going to have very expensive health insurance that you have to pay privately. You're going to have to pay back this $200,000 student debt. Um, you're going to have to be here every waking minute. And if you get sick or get hurt, well, time off for you is not covered by your, your pay. So you're losing money taking time off. We just corner people in on every like, every every avenue of escape you could have in America. Ah, we got you. You're not getting out that way either. The only way to get by here is you better be born rich or somehow work your way through that system and never get sick, pregnant, or need time off and uh, be in great shape because it's going to abuse the fuck out of your body. That's where we're at here. Other countries have socialized health care. They have low-cost child care. Uh, they have very generous paid time off, vacation days, maternity leave, 
all of these places are places where people still go to work and they make products and they make money and they drive the economy forward. But in return, society appreciates them as people and gives them the breaks that allow us to not only physically but psychologically endure all of this. You can't endure it if it is a never-ending beatdown like it is in the United States. A never-ending, you've heard the word slog, rat race, all of that stuff. Look at somewhere like France. They have almost an entire month less of work than us. They're drinking wine. They're smoking cigarettes. They're making love. They're writing poetry. I'm not saying they're the happiest people on earth, but uh, they're one month happier than we are. I can promise you that. And they have all the same things to show for it that we do. All the same quality of life. Internet, cable TV, beautiful airlines, beautiful country, wonderful products. I can't point to one thing in France that uh, I can say, aha, I have this and you don't. They have all of it. Some of it better than we do, to be frank with you. And I do use Frank as a pun there. Um, so this is stupid. We're being unreasonable with ourselves, you know. And uh, we are being sold the idea that any socialized programs, any social safety nets, these are communism. These are horrible things. We can't have this. This is uh, somehow this gets twisted into thought control. Totalitarianism. You'd want to send my kid to preschool for free? All right. Chairman Mao. Yeah, this is a very stupid American attitude. Um, we we are, have come up with this idea of ourselves as rugged individualists. You know that term, right? America is a country of rugged individualists. We can do everything by ourselves. We don't need nobody else. We're cowboys living in the woods all alone. No wife. Gets mighty lonely. Weird stuff happens. The rugged individualism, in my opinion the American self-image of rugged individualism, is a selfish, childish, fallacious concept that is forcing us to work so much harder than we have to in order just to appear, to appear self-sufficient to everybody else. We want everybody to think that we don't have any help. We want every one of our neighbors to think, that car in my driveway, bought it myself. These clothes, sold them myself. Everything I've done, I did myself. Nobody gave me nothing. Well, that's true for none of us. When I talk about being a self-made man, well, a stork didn't bring you here. You know, your parents had sex. They had you. They raised you. You got something from them. Uh, you drove to work on a road we all pay for. You went to school, most likely, at a school we all pay for. Everything in life <clears throat> comes down to something that another human probably touched before you. Now, yes, something like your business or like this website. Okay, I made trashskunk.com. I made the skunk podcast that you're listening to right now, but it wouldn't exist without the servers. And I don't own those. A company owns those. Wouldn't exist without the computers that I do all these things on. Somebody else made those. I had to buy those. I didn't self-make this whole thing from the ground up. I'm talking into a microphone made by God knows probably a German sitting on a rug I probably imported from China or somewhere. Nothing about the room I'm sitting in or the thing that I'm doing is mine except for the words coming out of my mouth and the little bit of time it took me to figure out how to put them on the internet. But that is <clears throat> not truly 100% self-made, is it? We all have help in some way or another. Now, that's a small example. You can extrapolate that. So what I'm trying to say is if we can let go of this idea that we are all self-made and that we must at all times appear to be 100% independent. And if we can look at each other as like, oh my God, we're all working so hard. Don't we all need a break? Doesn't poor Karen, who just had a baby a couple weeks ago, deserve to be home for a couple more weeks and get paid for it? She shouldn't have to go bankrupt for that. We need to start having that attitude. Stop thinking everyone needs to pull themselves up by their bootstraps because you know that even you didn't. Think Deep down inside, you didn't. None of us did. We've all had help. And even some of us who have had a lot less help than others still had it somewhere. And that's still no excuse to have no compassion for people. People need compassion. We need to be easier on each other. And we need to drop this hard work shit. Especially as we move into a more technologically advanced age where we can automate away some of the harder tasks. 
Even through COVID, we've seen that a lot of us can work from home. So why sit in a one-hour commute to and then back again from work every day? Things that sort of psychologically crush us might not be necessary. If we can get over the I'm a rugged individualist and I work harder than everybody around and if you don't, well then fuck you. If we can get over that attitude, we can improve our quality of life. We can become more like one of these European countries where people have generous time off and get to live their lives a little bit more. That's all I really wanted to talk about. A lot of bitching. Simple concept, though. There's a manipulation going on in America that makes us weaker, sicker, angrier, more stressed out. And it doesn't have to be that way. Where's the proof? Plenty of other people are living proof in other countries. that It does not have to be like this. So anyway, I hope that was a great start to your day (laughs) as you go to work to... uh, endure another wonderful work day. I hope that you have a fun and fulfilling job. I really do. Most of us do. I love my job. I personally am not, like I said, bitching about hard work uh, if it's something that you enjoy or, or it's doing well for you. But there's a lot of people out there that it's not and we're brutal on them. So let's cut it out. Let's be better neighbors. Let's be nicer people. We can do this together. Uh, thank you for sitting through a very uh, political and uh, strangely philosophical episode of the skunk companion of course to trashskunk.com there is an article called hard work is a destructive myth uh, on that website so god knows if you haven't heard enough of it here and you feel like going deeper down that hole be my guest Uh, head on over to trashskunk.com and check it out otherwise i will see you all next time don't work too hard bye